Welcome to the I Now Pronounce You Divorced podcast, where we have three award-winning family law attorneys dive into intriguing topics like divorce, military divorce, custody and visitation, trust and estate planning, and all things family law. Join us as we provide a comprehensive viewpoint through the eyes of our experts and guests aiming to educate and soothe our listeners. Get ready to tune in because I Now Pronounce You Divorced starts right now. And our job, again, as practitioners to look out for the best interest of the client, which is going to be giving you some of those tough decisions to make and guiding you through that process and what that looks like. If we have to litigate, of course, we're going to litigate. That's that's our job, right? Mm-hmm. We always prepare for litigation. We hope for settlement, but we'll prepare for litigation. But at the same time, preparing for litigation allows facilitation of settlement to really happen. And it, and it, it allows more fruitful, productive communication and conversation to happen, whether it's between the parties, between the attorneys, between the mediators or at a court. But we just want to make sure that as we're progressing along, that if one of the parties will vacate the the marital residence, that we know what that's going to look like. Because if you don't, then there's just so many implications that that could happen as far as being denied time with your kids, denied access to finances, uh, not allowed back in the marital home. And in some states that I'm licensed in, the date of separation is so important because anything that you acquire after the date of separation could be considered separate property, right? I mean, there's always those things as far as you're not waiving your right or interest in a, in the marital estate, but the potential increase in equity you could be or increase in retirement accounts. So there's things that we want to make sure that we're protecting you that once we establish what that uh, date of separation is, you know what the plan is moving forward, but we're also making sure that you're not waiving or giving up any of your uh, rights to, to property or other assets. And, and that that's so important. Uh, you know, when you're going through this process, you need to understand there's a lot going on, right? You're, you're trying to protect your relationship with your children. You're trying to protect your rights and, and property. You're trying to set a cutoff date saying that, you know, our relationship's over, but for the court making me wait. Um, I've got to protect my, my future property rights that are going to happen in, in this time period. Uh, and Dan, I kind of want to stick with you here. Is there any mechanism? So I, I know in Virginia, we have two types of divorce and, and I'll use the, the non-Latin phrases. We have a full divorce and we have a partial divorce. Is there anything like that where you're licensed at a full divorce or a partial divorce? And what does that mean? Sure. So in North Carolina, it's uh, an app, it's called an absolute. So that just means your mm-hmm. marriage is dissolved. And there's a lot of uh, issues and implications leading up to that to where, again, you want to make sure you talk to somebody because if you're wanting any type of support, but you get that divorce, the absolute divorce granted, you're barred from getting, seeking that. So you want to make sure that you're speaking to somebody and taking the necessary steps to prevent that from happening. That doesn't mean when someone files for the absolute divorce that it's granted and then you automatically waive. You have time to respond, but you just don't want that to to be waived. But that won't happen until one year and one day in North Carolina. But in other states that I'm licensed, for example, Missouri and Illinois, it's uh, from the date of the marriage until date of divorce, everything in between is still considered marital property. Now, you can make an argument in equity and it's gonna be really dependent upon the judge. I have the same facts and argued them in front of two different judges and two different <laughs> uh, opinions there. But you want to make sure that once you separate, again, you have that plan in place. But in Missouri and Illinois, it, you're either married or you're divorced. You can be legally separated for sure. And, and, and you can 
you can have that while you're going through. And if you can come to terms as far as what you agree upon, then that can be put into the actual divorce decree. Uh, but as, as far as partially divorced or divorced, not in, in those states. Now, in, in Missouri, you can file for legal separation. And in Illinois, you can too. And what that means is you're going through the exact same process as you would with a divorce. But at the end of the day, you're essentially saying, judge, court, I, I want to protect myself, but I'm not sure if this marriage is going to work out. We haven't reached a point where we want to dissolve it, but I just want to make sure that we're doing what we need to do to protect ourselves. Now, the benefit to that really is just only a handful of things. It could be if you truly want to work on the marriage. Sure, maybe legal separation is the route to go, but you're, you're still married. So you want to make sure that you put into that agreement that any asset or debt that's acquired would be considered that other person's property or debt, uh, depending upon the situation, of course. But others do it for religious reasons. Uh, I've seen that a lot. Uh, so that, that's, that's a pretty big issue on why others would come in and say, you know, we just want to be separated. You could get an annulment. Um, those are a little bit more challenging and harder because there's only certain grounds for the court to actually annul the marriage. It's basically if it was void or voidable or under some type of criminal circumstances. But absent that, it's really going through the actual divorce process where I'm licensed at. And, you know, I, I know in Virginia, sometimes it does make sense to, to keep things marching along in very acrimonious situations to, to avail yourself of the limited divorce and then ask for a full divorce. Have, have you done something like that, Rebecca? Yeah. So in Virginia, we have a couple of grounds for divorce that don't require any waiting period. And they give you what's called a divorce from bed and board which is not your final divorce. Your final mm -hmm. divorce is a divorce of a niculo matrimone. So um, what most practitioners do, if they have a basis for the bed and board divorce, they'll use that to basically get into the court and start getting temporary orders put in place and, and handle the things that need to be handled. And then say after the one year has expired, then we want to go ahead and merge this into a final divorce at that point in time. Um, so a lot of the time, you're not necessarily going to go through and get a it, an order for your divorce from bed and board. You're just kind of at a pit stop on your way to your final divorce. Um, I have had clients, again, for religious reasons or something like that, they don't necessarily want to pursue the absolute divorce. Um, sometimes my client may not want the divorce, but the other side does. And so we can essentially leave it up to them to finalize it. We get, we get to the point that we need to with the bed and board divorce. And then we let the other side go ahead and do the absolute divorce if, if that's what they're motivated to do. Um, but most of the time you're, you're just using that as a way to get started and, and as something that you can use to protect your client while you're waiting for that time period to expire so you can get your absolute divorce. Yeah, you know, I, I know that where I'm at, you know, it, sometimes it becomes important to try to move the case so you can start getting those temporary orders put in place because you have such an acrimonious situation that as a practitioner, you're like, we need to get you two people as far apart as possible and you're not going to do it on your own, right? We're going to need court intervention to make this happen. Um, I, I know we touched on annulment a little bit. Um, I know in Virginia and DC annulment is, is not really the way you want to go. We get a lot of calls about annulment and I always say, well, yes, it's probably going to cost you a lot more than a full divorce and probably not going to work. Um, 
but you know, it, we can also use the juvenile court, right? We can say to the juvenile court, like, hey, you know, what, what Dan was talking about, if we can't come to an agreement regarding custody visitation, we can have the juvenile court make a decision regarding custody visitation in, in Virginia. And, and that way you can say, look, you can move out now. This is what your, your visitation is, is going to be. Uh, Dan, is there anything like that, like a juvenile court versus an upper court for the full divorce in the jurisdictions you're licensed in? They're, they're limited. So you could uh, go into a, we'll call it juvenile court, if you're being denied time. So we call it in Missouri a family access motion. It's still a, a usually a circuit court judge, but it could be someone who's more um, hearing juvenile cases. But usually it'll be the judge that's presiding over your case will be the one that's presiding over the whole divorce case itself. Yeah, I always, you know, sometimes people get very antsy. You know, th things are going on and you're like, we, we got to work on getting you to getting you to a part. Uh, you know, one of some advice I, I have to give people sometime is, look, you need to get out of the house, not because you're violent, but because you are now in a weakened position because the other side could say you're violent. Um, have you ever come, run across anything like that, Dan? Sure. I, and, you know, I've seen it more and more in uh, social media contexts, like text messages mm -hmm. or emails or posting things on Facebook or Twitter to where it could come across as more aggressive or even the tone of a text message could come across that you're, you're threatening. And courts will usually uh, rule from the, the viewpoint of the, the victim. If, it, if someone feels that they're being threatened, right, and, and the text could be something so innocuous, but to the person receiving it, they could feel that it, they're being harassed or threatened if it's continuous then that's what can get a lot of people in trouble. But even more so, it's those texts to be used against you if there's uh, children involved, so if there's a potential custody battle, you always have to make sure that whatever you're putting in a text or an email, I always advise clients, just pretend that the, the judge is copied on everything that you're sending because it's all discoverable. And that usually try, it brings them back down to kind of understand what I'm, I'm getting at because mm -hmm. a, a lot of just lay people, right? And, and they wouldn't know, uh, what the implications are of social media and text, but it, it, it can make or break a case. And I've had it make and break cases, whether I was successful or it was used against me. And those are very powerful tools to, to try to overcome, especially if you're in custody and one parent's alleging you have an alcohol or drug problem and you're posting pictures when you don't have your kids, but you have a beer in your hand or alcohol in the background, or, you know, God forbid there's drugs in the background. I mean, those can be used against you. Or if you're texting other people and saying something bad about the spouse, that can be used against you too. So you just have to be very careful as far as what what you're communicating and, and quite honestly, how you're communicating it. Always think of how the recipient's going to view it, at least in, in, if you're going through a divorce or even contemplating divorce, because things leading up to are discoverable too. A lot of times I'll have clients come in and say, oh, well, my wife won't use it against me, or they'll, they'll throw out words that they hear on like um, television, you know, I don't know if Perry Mason had this back in the day, but I always use that as examples. Um, you know, my the privilege, the spousal privilege, the marital privilege, they can't testify against me. Well, it's their privilege to waive. So if they want to, they can. So just because you're sending these mean, crude messages doesn't really uh, protect you or, or absolve you from it. So you always have to be careful and just try to think several steps ahead. If, if you are at that point in the marriage where it is getting somewhat contentious or acrimonious, Take a step back and start, if you can, 
think of the bigger picture. As we've talked about in other podcasts, you know, what are your goals? And you, you don't want something to get you off course and have you have to settle or deviate from them because of some silly mistake or just some silly text that you hit send on. And now it's just completely morphed into something else. And we've all been there. And the clients didn't think anything of it at the time. But at the end of the day, it could have substantial implications. And others, I know, just like to vent and they vent through social media. Their um, bark is bigger than their bite. But really, that bark does become the bite. And so we have to kind of walk the, the clients through that. Yeah, you know, you, you hit on a good point that the courts like to look at it from the victim's point of view. Um, I've had judges literally say, look, I don't think this rises to the level of protective order necessary, but I do think the two of you need to be apart. So go away. You know, one of you, you get out. And there's not much you can do about that decision. Um, you know, I love the advice when you're texting, writing, communicating in any, any sort of way. Imagine the judge is copied on it. You know, one of the things that I hear all the time is like, well, I have this really good relationship with my in-laws, so I, I'm okay texting or emailing my in-laws. And I'm like, yeah, well, we'll just wait and see when it all comes down to it. And those text messages walk right into court. And you're like, yeah, you know, I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. <laughs> right. um, I'll give a wonderful example where uh, the, I had a client and she was constantly texting the in-laws like, oh, my God, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so overwhelmed. Can you come help me out with the child? I'm so overwhelmed. And it was just because she had, she thought she had a very good relationship with the in-laws and she was younger. And then the in-laws would be like, Hey, do you want me to come over tonight? So you can go out drinking with your friends. And she'd be like, yes, you know, please. Like, I'd love a night out. Like your, your son isn't helping me. And so I was, she, all those text messages walked their way into court. And, you know, we had text message after text message of her being like, Hey, thank you so much for last night. I'm still hungover. Can you keep the kid for a little bit while longer? I'm like, Oh goodness. Um, so all those communications, even when the grandparents in that situation seemed like they were the best friend, came walking into court for a custody visitation situation. Um, you know, Rebecca, how do you advise a client to get out of the house when they're not doing anything wrong, but you can see the writing on the wall? Right. You can see that the other side is starting to play that victim. You can look on social media and they start like joining all the spousal abuse groups. They start mm -hmm. joining all like and writing things like it, you don't know what it's like to be in an abusive relationship. How do you advise yeah. a client in that situation? Yeah. So you do have to be really careful because false accusations of abuse obviously can have a, a horrible negative impact on on your life and your divorce case and everything else. Um, and outright we've seen and heard people make threats. Oh, if you, mm -hmm. if you do this, then I'm going to say that you abused me and I'm going to say that you did this and I'm going to, you know, tell this whole story and call the police and do this and do that. You really don't want to be fighting to, to try and prove a negative, right? It's always hard to prove the negative when someone makes a claim that you did something to try and say, well, that didn't happen. Um, unless you have you know, some sort of video proof or something along those lines. Um, you, it's really, it's my word versus theirs. And that's not a position you want to be put into. So if there is a situation like that and someone says, look, I, I want, I got to get away from this person because they're going to make these false allegations against me. And I don't want to be in a position of defending this. Um, okay. Well, what, what resources do you have? First of all, financially, um, you know, what does it look like? Are you able to afford an apartment? And then if the court orders you to keep paying the mortgage, could you do both of those things? 
is this a case where there's the potential for spousal support and child support? Could you afford the new place, the mortgage, and the potential support that you're going to be on the hook for? Um, are there family members or friends that you could go and stay with on a temporary basis, at least until we know what you're facing? And then you can decide, you know, what what can I really afford based on this? Um, so they have to go through that financial analysis at some point. The situation that you don't want to have happen is a client that comes in that says, oh, I just signed this lease, you know, this this 12 month lease for however many dollars. And it's going to be a spousal support case and a child support case and everything else. And you're like, oh, no. Um, you know, is there any way we can, we can cancel that or, you know, can you get a roommate or, or do something because this is going to get really, really expensive really, really quickly. So that, that's really the number one piece of advice. The other thing is if you have someone that's making those threats, uh, Virginia is a one party state, so you can record, um, you know, videos, you can record audio, you can just hit the record button and put your phone in your pocket. And that way, if they do claim, oh, well, they were violent or they did this or they did that, well, I actually have a recording of the whole thing. And and so use that to your advantage. Use the tools that you have available to you. Keep things in writing when you can um, and and just make sure that you're prepared to defend against that when it comes up. Yeah, you know, I had a, a very interesting case where uh, uh, I represented the, the man and the wife kept making these fake allegations against him for protective orders. And you know, the same advice, record, record, record. And so she finally messed up, made the allegation that we had recorded. We filed a counterprotective order against her. And nobody wanted to give him the counterprotective order. So we actually had to file it uh, a little bit differently. But the idea was the threats that she was making to him would cause him physical harm. Because she was like, well, I'm going to say this. You're going to be put in jail and you're going to be physically and sexually abused in jail. I'll say that the nice way. Um, and so we showed that she was making threats to him with every intent to cause him physical, emotional, and long-term harm. And we actually got, so she goes and files her protective order. We filed a counterprotective order. We got hers dismissed because of the recording. We got ours granted. And in a very stark turn of events, she got removed from the house that day. And, you know, it was very hard to convince a judge of that, but you know, we, we, we pushed the idea that these threats of filing a protective order, these threats of claims of abuse would have such a long-term negative impact on this person that it was protective order worthy. And, you know, it's not, it doesn't hurt to try, at least open up the judge's eyes to, to that idea. But you did bring up something that I found very interesting is having that conversation about the financial implications of this. And, and Dan, how do you sit down with a client and say, look, we need to talk finances before we get started on this. Sure, and, you know, finances are never an easy topic to talk about, especially when it comes to money. But you have mm -hmm. to be direct with the client. And it's just, here's how it's going to affect your case. And what others, meaning practitioners, don't really think about, and I can at least tell you in the states where I'm licensed in, judges look at status quo and place a lot of emphasis on that. Meaning, if you have a client, to Rebecca's example, that went out, secured an apartment, and you have your rent, and then you have your um, mortgage, and then you have utilities over at the apartment, utilities over at the house, and then all the other expenses associated between both, and you're able to still contribute to your rent and the mortgage, well, you're setting yourself up for a failure from a finance standpoint, because not only to Rebecca's point that 
you know, you're doubling up your finances and you're draining your bank account for that. But then the judge is going to look at it and say, well, wait a second, that person can afford both. So clearly they can afford paying uh, spousal support. I've used that argument uh, against and I've had to use it against me. So I, I know that it, it's unfortunately or fortunately successful. But these are things that clients don't really think of because they're just like, I just want to get the heck out of there and let the dust settle, cooler minds prevail, and then we'll figure it out. True, but you're not thinking bigger picture as far as what are the negative uh, effects or implications that could, could happen to this. And so you you have to be open and honest about finances with the client. And if they're not wanting to, to uh, talk to you about it, then you're going to have to have another frank discussion as far as they're prohibiting you from being able to zealously represent them. And then if there's that breakdown, then you may have to withdraw from the case because you, you can't advise them uh, in, in, in a good way and allow them to have those um, informed decisions if they're not being completely truthful or if they're not giving you the information and having those open and frank discussions with you. Because it really does hamstring us as far as practitioners on how we can really represent somebody. And at the end of the day, they get stuck with an order they're going to come back and say, well, why didn't you advise me of this? I didn't know this was going to happen. So you have to continue to have those conversations. But you had it perfectly, Charles, earlier and said you want this in writing. As you always want to uh, try to get things in writing with your spouse, you want to have things in writing with your clients. So not just from a CYA standpoint, but so they can go back and reference it. So if they have questions, they can go back and look at, okay, yeah, that's right. I understand that now. Or ask you questions. But you want to make sure that from a finance standpoint, can they afford it now? And could they potentially afford it down the road? Exactly. I think this whole conversation really goes to the idea of, you know, when you're thinking about getting started, when you're thinking about who's going to move out, who's doing what, it's more than a very topical discussion. Well, I can move out right now because I have the job and or you know, I'm going to move out because of, of X, Y, and Z reasons. It, it's a much deeper conversation. And so if you or, or somebody you know is thinking about moving out of the house, you, you need somebody that's really going to be a partner for this process, right? You need somebody who's going to sit down with you, talk about all the implications, the, the, the implication of what if there's some sort of abuse, the implication of the financial implications, the, the, the relationship with the children idea, and what we can do to really step up and help protect you through this process. So, you know, give us a call and, and see the difference that, that a partner can make in, in planning your divorce, not even just execution of the divorce, the plan of the divorce. And if you like information like this, subscribe to it, uh, leave us a, a comments in, in the bottom so that we can always uh, work to try to answer all of the questions that people have. Because I know for me, I love talking about law. I love talking to new clients and, and trying to tackle their, their problems so that we can eventually reach their goals. So I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. If you found this episode helpful and you want more informational content, please be sure to subscribe and join us on all major social media platforms, including YouTube. Stay connected for more exciting updates and tips.